we just want to uh, say thank you for coming today. And, uh, you know, uh, we're really excited about some of the things that are happening here at the bridge. Um, you know, we're getting ready to uh, launch next week, and we've uh, been through a whole lot. That's right. Woohoo! That's right. Exactly. Come on. Hallelujah. And, uh, yeah, so, anyways, uh, we're really excited about it. I mean, we spent a lot of time in this building, a lot of money, a lot of finances, and so forth, and we are so excited about that, you know? So, uh, we just want you to rejoice with us as we carry on. But, um, you know, but we're not finished yet, exactly. Uh, we still have a little bit to do. And on the side of me right here, we have these, uh, these flyers. And so... And what those flyers are for is to kind of like spread the word. And that's what we're all about is we want to spread the good news to our next door neighbors or wherever, you know. I know that in those packets right there, um, they have maps and they'll tell you where to go if you uh, choose to. We're not going to put pressure on. You don't have to. You don't want to. But, you know, for those who desire to help us out, I mean, that'd be, that's much appreciated. But then again, there's a little map inside of there where we would ask you to go to, but you don't have to go there. You can take them to your, your friends, your families, uh, your work, or wherever. You know, just, just take them and invite people. So uh, if you do that, that would be great. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, like I said, we're going to uh, launch next week. And uh, uh, so this is your last chance to do it. <laughs> so we got to do it. So uh, hallelujah. Amen. Well, I, I've got a few more uh, announcements here, too, uh, more than you had on the little thing here. But um, in the back table over there, um, you know, the first of every month, what we do is we have the Lord's Supper, and we invite everybody to come as a community. But sometimes, you know, during the month there, you feel like, you know, you need something from the Lord. Well, we have the Lord's Supper back there, so what we want you to do is just partake you know, as you go, or if you feel like you've got to get up and go take the Lord's Supper, then do that. Uh, have your way, you know. Just, just don't feel like, you know, you can't. I mean, that's back there for you. So if you need a need, you have a need, I mean, praise God. And um, intercessory prayer as well. So important. Like I said, though, uh, Brother Lou, we, I thank you for being there. You know, I really do. And um, we just, then again, we just already had our 21-day fast and prayer. Uh, intercessory prayer, and there's a lot of things that come out of that. And prayer and fasting is so vital and important. I'll tell you what. If you want things to happen, come to that. Right? Amen. Amen. And so we have that every Saturday between 5 and 6 o'clock. Um, then again, uh, next week, the launch, I can't promote that enough. But for those of that you have your swag, yes. wear your swag. This is your swag. T-shirt, hoodies, whatever. So, uh, dream team, come on. Hallelujah. All right. And, uh, and also, too, uh, very, very important, I just want to welcome our new worship leader as well. And uh, Dave uh, Cabajosos uh, and his beautiful wife, um, Jasmine. And so, if you stand up, stand up. We just want to welcome him. Because I'll tell you what, this right here, this guy right here, not only, and I'm not trying to beef him up or anything like that, you know, even though, but he's a producer, he's a producer, he's a composer, he's a worship leader, uh, you know, he re reconstructs the songs and whatnot, 
And I'll tell you what, there's power in, 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 in the worship. And I, we appreciate that, Lord. We welcome aboard. Hallelujah. So, hallelujah. And then, uh, so the last one right here, um, we talk about the, the grief share. And that's going to be every Friday. And I don't know about you. Um, you know, we've all had people who passed on to the other side, and they graduated, right? <laughs> they went to heaven, hopefully. But uh, the thing is, is that uh, for somebody who lost somebody, that's tragic, you know? And uh, so grief share is, is, a, is a so, so important for the people who, who've lost, who felt like, you know, they're losing a major part of their lives. So the pastor is going to be doing that every Friday, I believe. And I'm going from there. So uh, you got, you know, somebody that you lost, come and join us. You know, we're inviting everybody uh, to these events here, too. So uh, other than that, I would say, have your way. Look what we have here at church. I immediately went back to work so that I didn't have to think about my father's death. I was very fearful of going through any process that would make me have to revisit my father's death. I was afraid the pain would open a door to something that I couldn't handle. I started experiencing uh, depression it was slow at first. Um, it began with just overwhelming feelings of being discontent. Um, and it started escalating. And eventually, depression and the emptiness was more overwhelming than the thought of facing the grief. The process of finally dealing with the grief began with Grief Share. It's very much like going to the ocean and wanting to take a swim. You've got that initial wave that comes at you, and then you have to face it, let it come over you, and then you shake yourself off and get ready for the next one. And the process of Grief Share helped me do that. With each wave that came, with each new lesson that I learned, I was able to 
let it wash over me, process it, and use it to move forward. I love talking about my father now. I love sharing his stories. I love watching videos. I love looking at the pictures, the memories. He was a wonderful man. Now I feel like having accepted the loss, I can now celebrate the life he had and feel joy for those times. GriefShare is a support group open to men and women dealing with the death of a loved one. To learn more about GriefShare, speak to the GriefShare leader at your church. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, His crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive, I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman, I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat, come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. And, then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it. All right. Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there and I'm looking in that tomb and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? 
Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. All right, who's happy to be in church today? Come on, you guys. It's very exciting. This is week four of Overwhelmed by Grace. And uh, I don't know about you, but every time we do this series, we learn something new about grace. I love that right there. That's why we played that today, because it's always about Him. All of us make it about us, and that's where the failure happens. Amen? So relaunch Sunday, I don't know if you've heard anything about this, right, going on next Sunday uh, in this place. I want to encourage you, Bridge Church family, get here early, okay, And you, because the amount of marketing that's taken place for this relaunch is like not only really ridiculously expensive, but the reach was what, 100,000 people on Facebook? On this seat, this room only holds about 100, so... If it goes the way we think it's going to go, you should get here early. And let me ask the Bridge Church family a favor, okay? If you're here and the room's full and somebody needs a seat who's a guest, what would a Christ-like person do, right? Stand up and let them have your seat. Next week, we'll have the monitor in the foyer. We'll be working. That's kind of overflow out there, closer to the coffee, Right? Think about it that way, right? One other thing that we were thinking, I was talking to my friend Adam yesterday, and our church, we're calling this a relaunch, but our church is actually next Sunday, actually on the 8th of February, going to be seven years old, right? We originally launched in 2015 at the community center at Daybreak, then stupid freaking COVID happened, wrecked everybody's life. And uh, so we got a pause, and then we went and did some other stuff, went online, and got our building, and now we're going to relaunch, do church, okay? But we were talking yesterday, and seven is the number of completion in God's, in the Hebrew culture, right? Year eight, which we're going to start next Sunday, is? New beginnings. New beginnings. Isn't that interesting how that worked out? So, uh New beginnings for our church, new beginnings for you. Lots of new families, lots of new friends. It's going to be very exciting. We're going to need some volunteers. We're going to need some help. We got flags. We got signs. We got stuff to do. Amen? So if you can come early and just help out where we need help, that would be amazing. All right? Thank you very much. Uh, Next week, we're going to start a brand new series called What Am I on Earth For? That's not what it is. What on Earth Am I Here For? You know, I do the series, and then other people take over and change stuff and and change names and titles because it sounds better. And I'm like, but it's harder to say, right? What on earth am I here for? So basically, we're going to look at, in three weeks, what is your calling, right? Why did God create you, and why did he put you here, right? going to be very interesting. So that's going to start next week. Thanks to everybody who helped out on uh, the work party last Sunday. We worked around till I don't know, like six, 
or so. We did a bunch of stuff around here, a bunch of cleaning, a bunch of painting. Place looks great. It's ready to go. Thank you to everybody who hung out and helped. And just so you know, we're starting a midweek service on the 9th, right? We call it the mid on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Uh, this is going to be, if you want to know the word, We've got professional teachers who are going to be in teaching the word on Wednesday nights, okay? We have children's ministry and all that stuff. It's just regular service, amen? Midweek service. So come and learn the word. Anybody want to learn the word, right? All right, one more thing. If you're a guest or if you have moved or if you have a prayer concern, right, grab a Connect card right there in the seats, fill it out, put it in the box back there. Uh, uh, we're just going to love on you. We want to pray for you. And we want to make sure that your needs are met because that's what Jesus with skin on does. Amen? If you want to give today into what we're doing here at the church, uh, connect card or uh, envelopes are in the seat backs. You can do it that way. You can text Bridge Live, all capital letters, to 77977. And Pushpay will send you a link. You can fill it out and do it that way. You can go to the website, Bridge Church Utah. Dot com and do it that way. Let me just throw this in because I believe the Lord put it on my heart as we were worshiping this morning. Tony mentioned David Cavazos back there, our, our new worship leader. Here's the situation that, that we, we have, okay? We need a new piano. And, and as the leader of this ministry, the music department and the audio department are the endless pit that never are satisfied financially, right? It just always something. And everything, nothing's cheap. Nothing's 25 bucks. Everything's $1,000. So we need a new piano. We have this one, but this one's not doing, it's just a piano, right? We need all these sounds and I don't know, I'm not a musician. I used to be, but I'm not anymore. Hallelujah. Deliverance takes place right there. Hallelujah. But we need one with sounds and let me just say it's ridiculously expensive. So if you want to sew into our new piano, Right on the envelope, piano on Pushpay, there's another thing. You can put piano on there. Sow some money into your band, which <coughs> is coming probably <laughs> next Sunday. Okay? Just saying. And when the video has been great and anointed worship on, you know, from Bethel and Elevation and everybody else has been amazing, but there's nothing better than live. Right? Yeah. Are you with me? Anybody excited today? Yeah. All right, let's stand together, and we're going to get ready to receive this morning the God's Word. Hallelujah. Stick your hands out like this, because we are ready in the name of Jesus. Father, we celebrate you today. Father, we exalt you. You are God of, of the Most High. Father, you are the owner of a thousand sheep on a thousand mountaintops. And Father, we come into your presence today to hear your Word, to listen to be changed, to have heart change take place, have mind change take place as we learn about grace. And Father, in everything that's said and everything that's done in this place today, we exalt you. And Father, our hands are out, our hearts are open, and we are ready to receive in Jesus' name. And if you can receive it, say amen. amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. So this is part four, overwhelmed What's overwhelmed mean? Just buried, right, by grace. And that's our prayer this morning, 
that we can understand and get grace to the point to where no matter what happens, we are just in agreement and in full understanding of what grace means, what happened, what Jesus did, and what it means for us, really, because um, a lot of times we don't understand the difference between the law and grace. And the Apostle Paul, through Romans and Hebrews, if you can come into agreement with that, talks about grace. Because the Jewish culture, that's all they knew was the law. In the first century church, that's all they knew was what the temple was doing and what the, the Pharisees said to do. So if, if that's the case, there was confusion in the first century, just like there's confusion in this century about the difference between law and grace. And I got a question this week, very good question. Uh, somebody texted me and said, well, if the law is irre irrelevant, which it's not, if the law is irrelevant, why is it even in the Bible? Well, it's kind of important. And, and it's a part of the old covenant, as we learned last week. You know, we used to be married to the law, which was telling us everything. And now we're married to grace, to Jesus, which is grace and truth. So Jesus had to make some clarifying statements about the law and about grace. And we're going to see that in Matthew chapter 5, if you brought a Bible. Flip over there. And, and the apostle Paul also made some clarifying statements. He, you know, he said, am I saying the law is bad or irrelevant? He says, certainly not in Romans. And Jesus say, uh, you know, made some clarifying statements. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets. He's saying everything that happened before I got here was just as important as what's going on right now. So What's the law for? What's the purpose of the law? That's what we want to look at today. Let's start with Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Here's Jesus speaking, right? Sermon on the Mount. I do not think that I, uh, or do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets, right? This, he's quoting Malachi. Malachi prophesied this. He said, I did not come to destroy, but to, say it with me, fulfill. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, and the prophecy that went with it. Verse 18, for surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, those are, are simply um, uh, smallest letters in the alphabet, or those strokes that are over letters, just tiny little things. He says, none of those things will pass away uh, from the law until it's fulfilled. Verse 19, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, well, he's going to throw that in there, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom. Notice something about what Jesus just said. He said those believers who are teaching them that are wrong, he's like, they're not going to heaven. I mean, going to hell. They're just going to be least in the kingdom. That's interesting to me because um, we are saved by grace and not the law. But you can teach it wrong and still not be condemned for it, which is interesting. Um, Roman tells us that, Romans tells us that, we, why can't I talk today? It's like, this is what you do. Can't you do it right? Right? So, a little law, grace thing there. Romans tells us that we've been released from the law so we could be married to Jesus and we're not. 
We're not under. Remember that word last week we talked about under. What does under mean? Being like controlled and, and have an authority over if we're under something. Uh, we had talked about that. But we, last week we said that we've been released from the law. So how are we supposed to relate to something that we have been released from? What the heck are we talking about? What does it mean? What purpose does the law have in the Christian's life? Right? Amen? Amen. Good. Glad you're here today because that's what we're going to talk about. On your handout, if you need a handout, they're in the back. If you need a three-ring binder, they're free. Grab one. If you're lucky enough to have a sticker on it, hallelujah. If you need one, ask Tony. Right? So four purposes of the law. That's what I want to talk about today. What is the purpose of this thing called the law? Because it serves a purpose in your life. It's to do something to help you, and this is the hardest word to say in church, but grow. <laughs> oh my God, I got to grow? And I'm not talking about lunch, right? I'm talking about spiritually grow. <laughs> All right, number one, uh, the law is a master. The law is a master. Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 23, there's Paul writing to the church in Galatia, and, and he's, uh, he's telling them, uh, Galatia, as we talked about last week, was in trouble because they, uh, they had the Judaizers would come in behind Paul and they'd just mess everything up, saying, you gotta, you gotta keep the law. You can be saved through Jesus, but you have to keep the law. And it was just a hot mess. And he kind of chews them out about it. But he says here in verse 23, he says, but before faith came, we were kept, listen to what he says, kept under guard by the law, kept for faith, which would afterward be revealed. Afterward be revealed, faith would come. Verse 24, therefore, listen to how he words this. It's very interesting. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. That word justified, justified, never sin. All right? But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, all right? Let's talk about this word tutor, right? Because this word in the Greek is uh, uh, in the household. In, in this day and age, first century church, everybody was homeschooled. Hallelujah. No school boards. Jesus reigns in this place, right? So everybody was homeschooled, but the, the higher falutin families would have a tutor in their house. This tutor or teacher or uh, dis would handle the discipline in the house. I would say disciplinarian, but I can't. So he, he would handle the discipline in the house. He was the guardian. He was responsible for the care and discipline of the children. That's what this Greek word tutor is. So it's pretty intense. This person handled the children, okay? Let me say children like that because when you're first saved, you are a children in the faith. Children in the faith. Because then James talks about being young, being drinking milk, and not on meat because you'll choke. So he's talking about this master and this tutor who's over you when you're under the law, right? When you're under, when you're under the discipline of somebody else, right? I went to to school for 12 years, from K to, to grade 12. 
I was under some real serious scrutiny in those years because of the school I went to. And, and it was very disciplined. It was very stringent. It was very tight. And, and there was a lot of rules. So I relate to this right here when Paul says that, right? I had a schoolmaster who kept me under control that, those 12 years. That ma learned material when I was a child growing up, parents, that's why it's so critical how you raise your children. Because what you're doing to them now is going to be produced when they're an adult. And if there's no discipline when they're a child, there's going to be no discipline when they're an adult, especially through the teen years. Okay? I'm not saying, you know, hammer. I'm saying love wins every time. But in those 12 years and when I was in school, I, I based my life on those things. And through from graduation at 18 all the way until I was 33, I couldn't do anything right. Right? Maybe you worked for that person. Maybe that was your parents growing up, that you could never do anything right. There was no grace whatsoever, right? Can you relate to that, right? We got the, the teacher and um, the, the teacher that comes around. I hated teachers. I, you know, I, I had issues with teachers. I remember when I was in grade school, when we got, I was terrified from like first grade to fifth grade because sixth grade teacher was Mr. Alice, no more women teachers, and he was tall, and he always looked mad. Even when he was happy and smiling, he's still mad, right? He was smiling, and he just couldn't make a happy face. So I was terrified to get to sixth grade. And sure enough, you get in there, and he was the kind of teacher, he had this, this metal pen, right? And, and he would walk around the class while you're doing stuff, and he would say, what time is eight times seven? And you're like, ah, I don't know, bam, and he'd smack you on the top of the head with his pen. And then he'd go on to the next person, and he'd be like, when was the American Revolution? And the person would be freaked out, be like, oh, I don't know, bam, he'd get hit with the pen, right? It'd be like, it's like, I just got this problem with teachers after all this whole scene of going to school, right? And, and even parent-teacher conferences were freaky. And I was the parent. I was like, I don't know. And they were homeschooled. Both our kids were homeschooled. I'm like sitting there freaking out. I'm like, I don't know. Blame them. It's scary, right? It's crazy. So instead of having Mr. Alice as your teacher, call Mr. Alice like the law. Hopefully he's dead and not watching this, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was rude. And that comes an email for sure, right? What if we didn't have the law as a teacher, as a tutor, as a schoolmaster, and we had a a loving, fun, exciting, somebody who would pull up the chair next to you and just sit with you and help you to understand things and help and, and just had a, a spirit of love that was just around them. It didn't, didn't yell at you if you messed up, didn't hit you on the top of the head with a pen when you, when you made a mistake or if you were freaked out, if you were having apprehension or maybe something bad happened in your life and you're a little bummed out that day, right? And you didn't, you didn't, you just sat there and just listened, just loved on you, just cared about you. What if that was our teacher, right? And, and it was just circled in love. I, I have to tell you, Jesus is the teacher who brings the love. You know what I mean? He's the teacher who comes with a patient spirit, with a heart 
for you and nobody else, right? See, when we're saved, when we get saved, we transfer classes, you could say, right? We transfer from the ugly, Mr. Alice hit you in the head with a pen teacher to this loving schoolmaster who wants to sit with you and teach you as a person, not as a list of rules that you have to do. Amen? Can you relate to that? That uh, you have this person who just wants you to win as opposed to pointing out everything that you do wrong. The law is always saying to us, you need a savior. Before you're saved, the law says, you need a savior. After you're saved, Jesus himself says, I am the savior. Give your life to me and we'll win. The church is the only organization in the world that you have to confess how bad you are just to be a member. <laughs> kind of fun, right? And, and the other thing, you know, the church is the only place where you're not qualified to be a member, but guess what? Grace says you're a member. Thank you for coming, right? Number two on your handout, the law, the law is a mirror. This is one of my, my I love the book of James because it's, it's, shoes on the ground, meet the pavement, safe. And, and he just hits you in the face with this stuff. He says the law is a mirror. So chapter 1 in James, verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man or a woman observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, talking about the word of God, you're looking into the word of God, and continues in it. I would circle that because that's where everybody drops the ball. All right? We're, we're really good at continuing in it from 10 to about 11.30 on Sundays. And the rest of the week's like you know, your skin's being peeled off. And not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in all he does. Anybody want to be blessed in everything you do, in everything you touch, and everywhere you go, be a blessing to everybody? The law reflects God's opinions about moral issues. That's what the purpose of the law is in our life. I'll say it again. The law reflects God's opinions about moral issues. You want to know, this is interesting because the, the media messes this up so bad. They're like, well, we really don't know where God stands on these issues. And every time I hear that, I'm like, well, that's somebody who's never read the Bible in their life, right? Because it's quite clear. You want to know where God stands on a moral issue? You can look right at Deuteronomy or Exodus and see it clearly. Here's an example. What do you think God feels about adultery? Is he for it or against it? Pretty simple right? And, and what's the, the law say about adultery? Somebody is caught in adultery, we stone them. Sometimes we should go back to that. That'll cut down on the whole pregnancy problem right there, right? What do you think God's opinion is about stealing? Is he for it or against it, right? And, and it's always like, well, God's so hard and you know, that was a long time ago, and, uh, and a lot of God's laws don't really fit into the, the community and the style that we have right now. That is a bunch of, uh, pardon my French, but crap, 
God's laws are relevant today just as they were then. And there's a reason why these laws are the way they are, because people get hurt when we break the law. Amen, Pastor. I, I can agree with that. And, and it's like, how do we know that God is for or against these things, right? Because the law tells us clearly this is what we're supposed to do, right? And, and Paul says it in Romans 7, 7. He says, for I would have not have known covetousness unless the law said, you shall not covet. What's covet mean? I really like that vest, Chase. You should give it to me. Right? That's, that's coveting. I want that. I covet somebody else's vest. You could go a step further and say, I covet somebody else's wife or family. Or I really wish I was more like so-and-so. It's like, no. Uh, Jesus is clear about focusing on our lives and growing ourselves. So catch this, right? The law that's broken hurts people. God's number one priority in all of the earth is people. He does not like it when people get hurt. Thus, the law is created so people don't get hurt. Okay? Now, catch this. This is important. This is where people stumble, and this is where all the questions come from. On your handout there, it starts with the law reflects. The law reflects the parameters or boundaries of God's desires. That's God's desire. The boundaries are clear in the law. 600 and anywhere from 15, 13 to 40 laws protecting people, right? Now, the Pharisees took them and twisted them and made them work towards them. Lots of rules and laws concerning certain things that uh, were ridiculous. But the Ten Commandments reflect God's parameters or boundaries of his desires. But... It does not reflect the parameters or boundaries of his love for us. Does not reflect the parameters or boundaries of his love for us. It's important that you have to understand the law was created as God's desire for the earth. But it does not mean that when you fail, he no longer loves you. Because that's, my friends, is what I was taught as a child if you mess it up, God's never going to love you. You'll never get into heaven. You're never going to be good enough to please God. You know what that does to a child? Makes him drink, be depressed, and angry a lot for a lot of years. Right? Luckily, we studied a couple months ago, or last month, we studied God's attributes. God's love that he will never run out of is limitless, no boundaries. God's love is limitless and has no boundaries. So we can push it, and God will never stop love. Well, God turned his back on me. I had somebody tell me this in a counseling session. I almost fell out of the chair. Well, pastor, you see, um, I, I ran off, and you know what he did is what he did. But what happened, he's like, God has turned his back on me. I was like, <laughs> really? Wow, that's deep. I only know one person that God turned his back on, and he got kicked out of heaven, right? And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Any, everybody else? Probably okay, right? So God's love is limitless, has no boundaries, okay? So his love goes beyond the parameters of his desires because it's 
limitless. God's desire is that I don't steal. But if I go over to Chase's house and steal Hannah's diamond ring, they may be upset, but God still loves me, right? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I may be judged on and, you know, uh, conviction may come because I stole, but God still loves me, right? His, the parameters of his love do not stop at the parameters of his law. It's important to understand that because so many of us think we have to overwork in one area because we goofed up someplace else. It's like, oh, I need to pray and fast for three weeks just because I ate a cheeseburger today. It's like during the fast. We were talking about this a couple weeks ago. It's, it's amazing. It's God's desire that the world would keep the law. Yes, but all of us know that the world cannot keep the law, but yet God still loves them because John 3.16 still says so. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And the world, I don't know if you noticed, it's a hot mess. There's stuff going on that just, oh, I'm glad I'm not God because I would be very disappointed just on what comes out of the mouths of people, right? It's pretty crazy. Do not get those two things confused, okay? Because then we misapply what the law is supposed to do in our lives, right? My children, believe it or not, Joel and Chase, as saints as they are, have messed up once or twice. And I've always told, <laughs> you slammed his leg in a door. I remember that, right? His brother's leg in a door. But yet, my love, you know, my children cannot do anything to make me love them more, and they cannot do anything to make me love them less. It doesn't matter. Now, if we think about God for a second, there's nothing any of us on this planet can do all the good works in the world that you do is not going to make God love you anymore. And all the dumb, stupid things and mistakes that we make, are not, God's not going to love you any less. Do you think the creator of the universe understands your predicament? He does. And it's going to be okay. Right? Jen Johnson sings the song, It's Going to Be Okay. She's singing it to her husband. It's amazing. It's amazing. We can keep the law, or we can keep loving, even if we don't approve of what they do. You know why? Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. Number three, the law is a map. The law will show us where to go, how to go, and how to get there. Uh, Psalm 119, 105 says this, the word, the word, the word, the law, we could say, right, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God will show you which way to go and how to do it, right? How do we know how to do a certain thing? If we're looking for clarity, if we're looking for vision, if we're looking for how to do a specific thing, or how to handle a specific situation, look right here. You don't have to look any further than this. It it, what's, what's rule number one for Jesus? What did he say is the number one, if you're going to fulfill the law in all the commandments, number one, we are to say it. 
love one another. And if you have a problem with somebody, I get this a lot in counseling. Right? Well, I, I have a problem with my boss, and you know, he's just not fair and treats me bad, and you know, blah, 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 and yak, yak, yak. And, and it's like, you know what? Number one, you have to love him or her. Number two, pray for that person. I can't tell you, we've had, uh, we lived in a neighborhood in California that was just full of uh, really youngster people, hipster, who like to party a lot, make a lot of noise. And instead of going over there and, shut up, I would go over there and I, I would just stand in front of their house and I would pray. And I would pray, huh? And I would pray. And I'd go to the next house, and I would pray. And I'd go to the next house and pray. Pretty soon, we were pretty much the only people on that whole block because everybody moved out. We had a neighbor in our house where we live in Bluffdale. He was a younger guy, played his music, and he had a subwoofer in that house. And if you know what a subwoofer does when you live in a condominium, it just rattles the whole place. And I think sometimes he would leave, and he would just leave his music on. He'd probably forget. It was like boom, 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 at 12.30 on a Saturday night, and it's just rattling our whole house. You know what? I stood in my bedroom, and I told my wife, and I said, get into agreement. And I said, in the name of Jesus, you are leaving this place. You shall move to a new place, and you shall vacate this place. Guess what? Three months later, moving van, he was gone. We can pray. Now, I'm not saying, you know, we can curse people, but... Every time I've prayed, and I don't, I don't pray for bad things to happen to people. That's ridiculous. I pray like uh, my boss. If I had a trouble with a boss, I would pray promotion over that boss, and that boss would be moving up. Then becomes somebody else's problem. <laughs> but you know, it just kind of worked out that way. But I'm just saying, we can pray and change the atmosphere. We can change our neighborhood. We can change the school your children go to. And not going in there causing a fit. I'm not saying letting your, your voice be heard. Yes, but we can do it in a way that loves people and then pray God's will into that place. Because God's will is that you don't suffer. God's will is that you walk in victory and you're an example to somebody else. And then when your, your buddy comes over and is complaining, you can say, you know what? In the name of Jesus, let's just bind and loose and pray this thing. And it will happen. The Bible will show you how to do it. I love it. Uh, Proverbs 17, or 27, 17. It's not in your notes. As iron sharpens iron, so, man, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. We can do these things, and our friends are going to go, what's wrong with you? It's like, I know Jesus. You got a situation, we can pray. We're going to love people, and we're going to change the stinking atmosphere around here. You want to know how to be married? It's right here. Yeah. Right? You want to know the right way to raise children? Right here. Let me just throw this out. The rod of correction shall drive out any folly in no children. These two are proof of it. We had a rod on the fridge. We had one on Michelle's purse. We had one in the car. We had one in every room of our house. And these children took the wrath when they were wrong. When they did the bad thing, they were taught. And I praise, I praise the Lord every day I got good kids because of the rod of correction. I'm not saying beatings and bleeding. I'm saying loving, always prayed, never did it angry. Just taught our children respect and honor. 
we had a guy in our old church. His name was Harrison Coates, but he was a deacon. So he went by Deacon Coates. It was years later before Chase figured out that Deacon was not his first name. But he had the honor to call him Deacon Coates, Pastor Zorn, Elder Dotson. He came up in that church honoring the elders because he was taught that because that's what this says, right? So it makes your life easy. You know how to handle finances? It's right in here. That's the rule we talked about last week with Jesus, right? You want to be in authority? Serve. You, wanna, you need increase? Give. It's the way the kingdom works. It's the way the system is set up, and it's all right here. God did not, now this is going to freak you out, so get ready. God did not intend for us to choose between right and wrong, like the law says, right? The law says you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this kind of right, but you messed it up anyway, so it's not really right, but we'll call it right, but you messed this up, you messed this up, you, did, you messed this up. God didn't intend for us to choose right or wrong. Right? Because when he created Adam and Eve, if you remember in Genesis, he put two trees in the garden. And this is, this is another series we're going to talk about because this is where people get messed up because they focus on the negative. It's just our nature, right? He put two trees in the garden. Those trees were not the tree of right and the tree of wrong. As a matter of fact, they, it was the tree of life and the tree of what? Anybody know? knowledge of good and evil, right? God said, you can have everything you want on the tree of life. Don't touch that one, because if you do, you will die. And I always like throwing sucker on the end of that, because what happened? I got suckered in, right? So we could call the knowledge of good and evil tree the tree of right and wrong, and we could call the other tree the tree of life. So God doesn't want you to choose between right and wrong. He wants you to choose between life and death. And what does it say in Jeremiah? I set before you life and death. Choose life. So the decisions that we're making that are supposed to be helping us, according to the word, are they producing life or are they producing death? in your life? Does adultery produce life or death? Does stealing produce life or death? Does covetousness produce life or death? Choose life. And if we don't do those things, we automatically uphold the law, right? It's important that we understand that all of us at one point in our life are eating from the tree of law. We're, we're taking these things and we're pushing them against our life and going, I'm never going to be good enough. And finally, Believe it or not, when we get to that point where we'll never feel like we're going to get it right, that's when Jesus shows up. True, grace and truth come, right? So the law is a master. It's a mirror. It's a map. Number four, last one. We'll close right here. The law is a measure, like a measuring tape, right? It shows us how we're doing uh, compared to the moral standards of God. The law is for us to measure ourselves, not to measure somebody else. Because this is where it goes. Well, brother, your church isn't spirit-filled. <laughs> you don't wear the right clothing. 
you, you know, your pastor drives a nice vehicle, so he's got to be stealing, you know, because the law says thou shalt not steal. It's like, you know, when we start doing that, that's called a, a machete, right? You're not, you shouldn't dress like that for church. Hack, hack, hack. You know, your wife is wearing too much jewelry. Hack, hack, hack. You drive too nice of a car. Hack, hack, hack. You should give more. Hack, hack, hack. That's what we, we do that to each other. A lot of us came up in churches that it happens right here and really makes you feel good about yourself by the time you leave, right? The law is not a machete to use on people, right? We could say this, that law-keeping is not the measure of true spirituality because Jesus said himself in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear to be beautifully outward, beautiful outwardly, right? Does this sound like Utah or what? But inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you are outwardly appearing righteous to men, but inside full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. lawlessness. It's wrong to use the law to measure someone else. Bad news. It's not why it was created. Uh, uh, quickly, the John 8, the, the woman caught in adultery is always the classic uh, grace verses, right? What did the law say? Law said to stone her, right? Jesus and the Pharisees are going back and forth. And let me tell you something. In first century, when Jesus was here, there was a lot of pressure between the Romans occupying force, the temple, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, who were the cops, temple cops, right? They kept the law. So if somebody was going to be stoned, the, the Sadducees showed up, gathered a mob of crowd, and, uh, and gathered the rocks and stoned somebody. So there's a lot of pressure happening here, and Jesus is under it because they are pointing at him going, hey, do it. Stoner. The law says to stoner, right? That reflects God's desire to not be adulterous. Would you agree? right? The law also says that she's going to get hurt in this process, and God loves people more than his desire, okay? So what did Jesus say? Jesus said, let the one with no sin cast the first stone. The Bible says that slowly, I love this part, from the oldest to the youngest, they departed because nobody is qualified to judge anybody, let me say that again. Nobody's qualified to judge anybody. I say that all the time, and they're like, oh, pastor. And I'm like, read your Bible. Nobody is qualified to judge anybody. Jesus said himself, let the one with no sin cast the first stone. He's talking to people. Any people in here? I'm a people, right? So Jesus is telling them, let the one with no sin cast the first stone. They, they departed and it was just he and the woman, and he drew the law. He wrote, I believe, my theology says that Jesus wrote the commandment uh, in the dirt with his finger. And they all saw it, and they all went, uh-oh, he, he knows what he's doing. This is kind of freaky. And then he, it was just him and the woman left, right? And, and Jesus looks at her, and he says, does no one condemn you? Right? That's the law. And he says, neither do I. There's grace. Law and grace happening at the same time. 
And it, then he says, with even more buckets of grace on it, he says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Grace. Did he condemn her? She didn't meet God's desires. No. But did Jesus condemn her? No. He said, go and sin no more. So why do we got to feel like we got to condemn everybody who messes up? It's so hard, isn't it? It's like, you know, you want to be the cheerleader and you rah-ree, kick him in the knee and all that stuff. But it's like, it's okay. Go and sin no more, right? He separated her behavior uh, from the extent of his love at the same time told her that it was not up to his standards and that her moral behavior needed to change. Simple. Truth, remember John 1.17, Jesus is truth and he's grace at the same time time. Get that in our hearts concerning Jesus and the way we do stuff. He is grace, and there's always truth. Go and sin no more, and there's grace. You know, we're going to win. We are always going to win. I'll close right here with this story. In Bible college, there was a pastor. He wasn't a pastor yet, but he was sitting in a class, an ethics class of all things. An ethics class, right? The, the professor is giving a test in ethics class. And the, the, the guy sitting in the class is like, oh, I see what's happening here. We're going to take a test. And then the, the professor said, I want you to correct your own test. Correct your own exam. And the pastor doing what is like the worst sin in the world called projecting, he goes, oh, we're going to take our own test. Now we're going to correct our own test. And he's going to collect them and then make an example out of somebody who cheated. Right? He can see this coming. So he takes his test. He corrects his own test, and he was very meticulous about, you know, if you did this, you get this many points. If you did this, you get this many points. And he's thinking, yeah, this is going to be great. I'm going to grade my test so that if he holds my test up and I get a D minus, 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 I still, my ethics are right, right? And he's doing all this stuff. And he's, so they correct the test, and then the pastor said, okay, put your test away. Or the professor says, put your test away. Let's go on to chapter 2. And everybody in the class goes, hey, 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 wait, wait. We have to, aren't you going to collect the tests and, and make an example of somebody who messed up and lied and cheated? And the professor goes, no, that wasn't the plan at all. He said, this test, like every test in life, is a measure of how you're doing in compared to God's moral standards. Not everybody else how everybody else is doing in compared to God's moral standards. He said, he said, ah, I understand. God's law is for us to measure ourselves, not for us to measure someone else. That's the reason, the purpose of the law, all right? The law is a test that God will not grade for believers. As a matter of fact, let me say this. God has graded the test already. And guess what? All of you in here, it's going to be really encouraging. Get ready. You failed. <laughs> Ten commandments or 640 commandments, you failed, everyone. I'm Pastor Dan. I'm here to encourage you. Here's how this works, though. But he said, God said... I have sent my son to the earth and he took the test for you 
and you got a hundred if you accept him. You can have Jesus test that's a hundred in your grade book, but you have to confess with your mouth, right? Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. So guess what time it is. So I'll stand together. Here's grace in a picture. My son took the test and his grade is yours. So let's everybody bow our heads, close our eyes tonight, this morning, tonight, this morning. <laughs> and I want to give you a chance, right? Because Jesus took your test, you can have his grade and it's super simple. You just have to say yes. So with every, eye, eye, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, let's just, let's, I want you to, to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me this morning? Do I need Jesus' grade? Do I have to, to turn my life over to Jesus? Because it's available. It's available in this place right now. And that's all I want you to do is just put your hand up where I can see it and say, yes, I received Jesus today. We're all going to pray this prayer together anyway. I see your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. We're going to all pray this prayer together anyway, so you might as well stick your hand up. It's just a formality. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus is grace in action. Jesus is the truth that comes with that grace. Right? Jesus passed the test for us. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart. I want to trust you. I want to follow you as Lord and Savior for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations, you did it. God bless each and every one of you. If you raised your hand today, we got a bag for you in the back that uh, just has some church information in it and it has some Jesus information in it. And it's gonna help you to grow and understand what just happened, okay? Because it's important. You can just get saved and go, oh, that's great, and get into heaven. But there is more to this story than just getting into heaven because it's called sanctification and it's growing and learning how to be a Christ follower. Are you with me? Amen. God bless each and one of you. Pray for this church this week that, that um, you know, the enemy is coming hard. But we have the victory. So stick in it, man. Stay in this fight. Don't give up. Grace and truth are on your side. Have a great week, everybody. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.